Well, we are talking about living joyfully and using the, the New Testament letter of Philippians uh, as kind of our guide uh, on, this, on this journey of discovery, and I, I encourage you to find that in a note-taking guide as we're going to be looking into chapter 3. But as you're finding that, uh, I want to think with you or have you think, if maybe it's a better way to put that, uh, about the future, and particularly about how you tend to think about or view the future. What is your attitude toward the future? Uh, for some, it's, it's, it's an excitement. Maybe you're excited about some things that are kind of happening in your life right now or what's around the bend. For some of you, it's, it's, it's maybe a, an uncertain future. You've got more questions than answers right now. You're not sure what direction uh, to go. Uh, for others, maybe you've kind of been inundated. You know, you, you listen to talk radio, you listen to the news, or you see things going on in the world, and you, you kind of shake your head a little bit. And sometimes as parents and even grandparents, if you, in any of those seasons of life. Maybe you start to look and you, you, you have one thought about your future, but you find yourself worrying, worrying about the future of your, for your kids or, or grandkids. And, well, what's the world going to look like there? Years there, I heard of an incident years ago was reading about, a, it's actually a map, a map that's in a maritime museum in Britain. The map goes back to about 1525, and it was a map of the North American coastline and the waters. And uh, the map designer had, had kind of projected some of his own fears literally on the map. And so he, he's, he's got this map of the North American coast, of the waters, and at certain points he, he wrote these words, here be giants, here be fiery scorpions. Here be dragons. And that, you know, map just kept hanging around. And uh, eventually, in the early 1800s, a man by the name of Sir John Franklin, a, a, an explorer uh, there as part of the British Empire, came across the map. And as he, he looked at that, he scratched out some of those words. And in the place of here be giants, here be fiery scorpions, here be dragons, he wrote, here is God. Here is God. Listen, I, I don't know maybe what today looks like for you as you think about the future. Maybe there's some things you say, here be giants, <laughs> and here be dragons, <laughs> and here's this thing that's scary. But this is what I want to remind you on the front end this morning. You will never go where God is not. You will never go where God is not. God is here. Here is God. And whatever your future, and I know it's unknown to many of us, all of us really, whatever your future looks like, God is there. And God is here with you. And just that thought hopefully will inform how we move toward our future. And when we talk about moving toward our future with joy, it's not just about our future, but it also impacts the way that we process our past, but it also powerfully impacts our experience in the present. Our attitude toward the future has a powerful, powerful impact on our joy for today. And so as, as Paul is writing this joy-filled letter, he, he, is, he is reminding us not only of, of the present, but how we look toward the future. And let's just refresh ourselves 
ourselves. Remember when he, where he's writing this from, a prison, a prison that he has really no direct control over what's going to happen to him. It's not like he knows I've got a parole hearing in a few months or my sentence is only this. He doesn't even know if he's going to live at the end of this, right? He has an unknown future, but he writes a letter that is permeated with joy. And I think he can teach us something. Teach us something about living joyfully as we've been looking in this series. But particularly this morning, teach us something about our attitude toward the future and how that impacts our experience of joy for today. So I just wanted to look at kind of the back half of uh, Philippians chapter 3 and, and learn some things from Paul about how to move toward my future with joy. And the first thing that Paul kind of models for us here in this letter is to reject complacency, to reject complacency. If you'll follow along with me in a copy of God's Word, Philippians chapter 3 verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, let's pause right there. Here is Paul, and he's just finished in the first section of this chapter talking about a little bit of his history. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews and all these things, but he kind of looks at some of that as, as rubbish now, uh, that, that, that he is more fixated on what God has done for him by grace in Jesus Christ, and he wants more and more to intimately know God, to, to passionately pursue God and, and the power of his resurrection. And even if that means walking in, in kind of the fellowship or the community of his suffering. And uh, permeating these, these words is this is not a guy who has put it in cruise control, right? This is a guy who is rejecting complacency. You know, even, even the language, he's using the analogy of a, of a runner here. And he talks about words like press on. It, it's the, the words that would have been used of a, pr- a sprinter. It is aggressive. It is energetic action along the way. And, and he's saying, don't get complacent. If you want to experience joy, don't stick it into cruise control, right? And, and maybe we could have said, hey, Paul, it would have been easy for you to just say, listen, I did my thing. I've served well. I've been a pioneer. Here I'm in prison. I'm old. I'm hurting. I've been beaten. I've experienced all these things. I'm just going to chill and maybe hope God will get me out of this, this fix, right? But that's not Paul. He is rejecting complacency. He is pressing on. And I want you to notice a couple of things about this. First of all, this sense of dissatisfaction. This sense of dissatisfaction. That Yes, he had grown. Yes, he had been touched by God's grace. Yes, God was doing amazing things in him and through him. But he wasn't going to rest on his laurels. He wasn't yet satisfied with his relationship with God. He was not yet satisfied with his experience of the power of the resurrection or even the privilege of being a part of that fellowship of the suffering. And so he He's leaning into that more and more. Yes, I'm grateful, but that gratitude doesn't make me comfortable or complacent, but it motivates me. It motivates me to strain, to press on, to move forward. Warren Wiersbe put it this way, a sanctified dissatisfaction 
is the first essential to progress in the Christian race. That sanctified dissatisfaction, maybe a holy discontent. And not with God, but with ourselves, with our growth, with our development, with the things that that we still want to know and experience and the ways we want to serve God. And so if I'm going to experience joy, when when I get cruise control, the joy begins to dissipate. But when I'm pressing, when I'm rejecting complacency, when I'm having that sanctified dissatisfaction, it thrusts me forward into God's joy. But notice also the direction the direction. He, he is, he is uh, not looking back. He says, forgetting, forgetting those things that lie behind and straining toward the, what lies ahead. Forgetting is, is not that, that he didn't have any recollection of it. He just go right above that. The verse is right above that. He absolutely knew his past. He knew he was a persecutor. He knew he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew his past. It's not that he didn't have a mental recollection of it. He said, I'm just not going to let my past control me. I'm going to give it inattention, if you will. I'm going to treat it with inattention and with disregard. And for some of us, before we can move forward in joy, we have to learn to deal with our past. There's some things that we just have to begin to say, that's true. It is a part of my past. Uh, It's not going to change, but I'm not going to let it dictate my life. Please hear me this morning. We can't change the past. To use that overused expression, it is what it is, right? Your past is whatever it was, the good, the bad, the ugly, your past is your past. You cannot change the past, but we can change the meaning of the past by God's grace. And that's what Paul did. He said, I'm not going to let my past control me. I'm not going to let my past dictate to me. And and there there are lots of things that you and I may need to forget. And, And I don't know where this morning finds you, but maybe you can identify with one or more of these. Three just kind of broad categories. For some of us, we need to forget our griefs. I may need to forget my griefs. Some of you have been hurt. You've been hurt badly. Uh, maybe it was something in your, your growing up and your development. Maybe someone uh, did something even horrific to you. Some of you have experienced devastating loss through death or divorce or desertion or betrayal. Some of you have lost jobs that you love. Some of you have had friendships that have been broken and torn apart. Maybe it's, it's you're grieving over all health and, and you used to be able to do this, but with disease you can't do this anymore. And yes, that is very real grief. Experience that grief. Own that grief, but don't let that grief dictate your future. At some point, you have to say, I am going to give that inattention. I'm not going to keep giving that attention, and I'm going to strain. I'm going to press on. I'm going to move forward to what God has in my life. For some of us, we have to forget our griefs. For some of us, we may have to forget our guilts our guilts. And some of us have some things in our life, and maybe we look back and we say, oh, Jeff, you don't know. You don't know where I've been and what I've done. You don't know the mistakes I've made. Heck, let's not spiritualize it. It's not a mistake. I sinned. I rebelled. 
You don't know. Well, I probably don't, but I know the one who does. It's the same one who sent his son to the cross to die for those guilts. So those guilts no longer control you, no longer have to dominate you, no longer have to define you. For some of us, we can't move toward our future with joy because we're still stuck in the past. We're still carrying around baggage of our guilt. Own it and then take it to the cross. Take it to the cross of Jesus Christ and and allow his perfect sacrifice, his shed blood to be more than sufficient for whatever guilt you may be carrying. Yes, it's part of your past, but it doesn't have to define your future. My griefs, my guilts. But there's a third one. Sometimes we have to forget our glories, our glories, right? Sometimes we, we, we have those things in our past that this was such a high moment, or I did this, or I achieved this, or oh, it was glorious back in that day, or I sure loved that season of my life when everything seemed to be perfect and everybody got along and it was so wonderful and all these things. Can I just tell some of you here, I know this is going to come as a shock, but Nobody cares when you're 45 if you were captain of the football team. I'm sorry. I know that may have been the pinnacle of your life. Get over it. Right? I know you look good in that cheerleading outfit. It don't fit no more. Right? Move on. Move on. (laughs) Oh, listen. Celebrate those successes, those achievements, those things that God allowed you to be a part of and experience. But don't stop. Don't let that, that glory be this pinnacle that it's kind of like nothing will ever get that way again. And you, you kind of you stop and you spend more and more of your time reminiscing about the way it used to be. Or you just kind of, it gets better every time you retell it through the years, right? And you, you can't move into your future with joy because you're stuck in some perception of your glories from the past. Give it up, get over yourself, and move forward, Right? Move forward. And so Paul says there are some things that if I'm going to move toward my future with joy, I have to forget. I have to give inattention to. I have to not let those continue to dictate. Listen, you break the power of the past by living for God's future and what he has for you. If you, if you don't have a future, if you don't have this sense of, of where God is taking me, that God is at work now and God is, God is leading me into his future, you can get stuck in the past. The, the past can have such power over you. You can break that power by living for God's future and what he has for you. He rejected complacency. But he also clarified commitments. There was a clarity of his commitments. Let me go back and reread verses 13 and 14 because they kind of draw out these words. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He he knows he's not perfect. He knows he's not there. He knows there's always more. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, there's so much, so much there. Hear me. 
Many of us lose our joy, not because of great commitments we've made, but because of unclear commitments. Well, we live in, a, in an information age. We live in a, in a world where everybody has an offer for you, right? Everybody has, I was, I was kind of chuckling the other, night, other evening. I was going through some of my emails, and, and it's like the, these people are saying, it's like, urgent, you know, if you don't respond, do this by midnight tonight or last chance, or it's 50%. I'm thinking, thinking wow, you know, the world is <laughs> like, woo, I got to do something before midnight, or, or well, it's horrible, right? But you get scattered. And you get so many commitments in so many directions, and it becomes a blur, and it becomes unclear, and you lose your focus, and you lose your joy. Paul, Paul had a different uh, approach, right? He had a great commitment of his life. There was clarity as to what he was pursuing. Paul had uh, clarity on his commitments. Paul had a singular commitment. He had a singular commitment. Did you notice that phrase there? One thing I do. One thing I do, I know this is the focus. This is the priority. This is the thing that I keep coming back to. This is true north for me. There are things that I am going to forget, and there are things that I'm going to strain forward to. He didn't say there are are these thousands of of things I do, but he he began to have this, this singular commitment. He wanted to know God. He wanted to honor God. He wanted to pursue God's best for his life. But it was a visionary commitment. It was a visionary commitment that it, it grew out of his relationship with God. I, I press on toward that upward call of God that, that, that he wanted to press on to what lies ahead. For some of us, it will move us forward tremendously in moving toward our future with joy. If we would just continually revisit a very simple question, God, what do you want me to do? God, what is it that you want me to do? God, what is your vision for this season of my life. And God, what, what are your priorities for this season of my life? God, help me to get some clarity. God, I, I want what you want more than I want what I want. What does it look like in this season of my life to pursue you in the power of your resurrection? So God, what do you want me to do? For some of us, carving out just a little bit of white space to sit before the Lord with some questions like that would help us to begin to move forward into our future with joy. It was a visionary commitment. It was an energetic commitment, an energetic commitment. Notice the language he's using there, that pressing on, that that straining forward. As I I read this, he has this wonderful uh, imagery of a runner, and I I think about some of the races I've seen through the years, and maybe you can even think of some Olympic races. Have you seen, maybe seen someone stumble, or maybe even seen someone fall, and and some fall and give up, and some jump up. And man, sometimes you've seen somebody in a race and they've stumbled, but boy, it's, it's like that stumble. I don't know if it infuriated them or, or focused them or what, but all of a sudden you just see that expression on their face, right? I mean, they, they, are, they are all in and all out. I mean, they're, they're straining, they're pressing on. And, and that's kind of the picture. Paul said, listen, I don't want my life to be a waste. I don't want my life to be adrift. He says, I, I, I am focused and I am energized. I am am pursuing this all in and all out. To the Colossians, he said, for this I toil. There's no complacency there. Struggling with all his energy. 
that he powerfully works within me. Uh, Paul had this, 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 I have this calling and I'm going to pursue it energetically. I know it's the energy and the capacity that God provides, but I am all in and I am going all out. It was an energetic commitment. It was a called commitment. It was a called commitment. And this certainly ties into visionary, but it was the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, that, that sense of I'm not pursuing this. I'm not moving toward the future just because I thought it was a good idea or because my buddy was doing it or I read it in a book. But this is the calling of God upon my life. And so right before that Colossians passage we just read, the verse right before it, he he, kind of talked about that called commitment. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This was the calling of his life. This was the passion of his life. And he pursued it with toil and struggle with all the energy that God had powerfully worked within him. Why could Paul move toward his future with joy even from a prison cell? It's because he had clarity of commitment. Because he had rejected outright complacency. He had never arrived and he was going to continue to run to the end. Well, then as Paul turned his attention uh, to the Philippians, he he encouraged them to follow the right examples, to to follow the right examples. Look at verse 15, if you would, with me. Let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He's saying, listen, you want, you want to move toward the future with joy? Make sure you're following the right examples. Make sure you're following the right examples. And he talks about the positive examples and negative examples. Now, the positive examples would be Paul and others, such as Timothy and Epaphroditus that we've already looked at. And, but he uses some interesting words, at least in the Greek. The word to, to imitate or to follow, as some of your translations will say, actually where we get our word mimic from. Uh, mimic, uh, these type of people. He said to, to keep your eyes on. Now, the word is where we get our word scope. You know, we talk about scoping somebody, scoping it out, right? Or when we put somebody under the microscope or you're watching them through the telescope, that this idea of, 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 of scoping out, follow the right examples because the right examples can lead you forward toward joy. And as Paul says, talks about following himself and following others, and he talks about right beliefs, right beliefs. So if you have a maturity, he said, you will think this way you you, this will kind of god's word and god's truth will shape your thinking and and if any you have disagreement here he said allow god allow god's truth to conform your thinking to reality right behavior follows right beliefs and that's the second thing they not only believed the right things but they behaved in accordance with those things only let us hold true to what we have 
attained. So Paul says, follow the people who, whose lives are, are marked by beliefs that are in alignment with God's truth. Follow the people who not only say the right things and say they believe the right things and even teach the right things, but who are, who are living it out, who are fleshing it out, who have right beliefs and right behaviors. Now, before we turn to this, I, I want to just pause and, and think for a moment that, that this is a challenging passage challenging couple verses in this in this respect am i leading a life worth following am i leading a life worth somebody else scoping out mimicking because parents grandparents friends we're teaching all the time, aren't we? We're teaching all the time. Even at times when we don't want to be teaching, we're teaching, right? We're teaching what we value, what's important, what we really believe, how you really behave in response to those beliefs. We're teaching all the time. Could I say at least to some degree, what Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, one word of caution here before we turn to the negative, and that is learn from human examples, but never worship human examples. Learn from human examples, but as Paul would be the first to admit, we're all still works in progress, right? None of us is there yet. And sometimes what happens to us, particularly in a culture that tends toward celebrity, if you will, we, 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 we tend to, to elevate people very, very quickly, only to discover sometimes that they're just like us. They have feet of clay, right? And none of us is perfect. And so I, I must say, learn. Learn from the examples of others, but only worship one. Only worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. Learn from the examples. Don't worship the human examples. That's the positive examples. The negative are many, many. And I want you to notice before we look at what Paul had to say about them, notice how Paul talks about them. He says, many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross. Now, why I highlighted that is sometimes, sometimes there's a little perverseness in it, right? In us, right? We, we can, if we're not careful, sometimes take a little perverse pleasure in somebody else's fall. There's something weird about us. We love putting people up on pedestals and then kind of like to see them fall. Sometimes we even want to shove, right? Sometimes we take a little too much delight in sharing the news about somebody. When you hear of somebody who has stumbled, does it break your heart? When someone maybe who seemingly once walked with Christ is now living as an enemy of the cross, does it break your heart or does it ignite a judgmental spirit? Paul is writing and he's going to write very clearly about them but he's going to do it through tears it is with a broken heart that he writes these things and what does he tell us about them 
He tells us they're headed in the wrong direction. Their, their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. They're, they're walking in the, the wrong path. They're headed in the wrong direction. Be aware of not only the choices they're making, but the direction that they're headed in. They're headed in the wrong direction, and they have the wrong priorities. The wrong priorities. That not only is their end destruction, their God is their belly. They're, they're, they're more focused on the priorities of physical appetites and comfort and pleasure and all of that means. And when those priorities become, those, those things will never be satiated. They'll never be satisfied. There'll always be something more. It'll always leave you somewhat empty along the way. It'll rob the joy from your walk. Wrong direction, wrong priorities, but also wrong values. Wrong values. That they, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. You know, that happens sometimes even in our culture, doesn't it? Things that, that if you, you're looking at it from God's truth, ought to be a point of shame, but we can end up celebrating it. We can end up glorying in it. He says, pay attention to those that glory in their shame. They, 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 they are a negative example. Wrong direction, wrong priorities, wrong values, and wrong focus. Wrong focus, and they're all certainly to aligned. He says, but their minds are set on earthly things. Their minds are set on earthly things things. They're just thinking about the here and now. They're just thinking about, uh, about earthly treasure, earthly focus, uh, earthly pleasures, whatever it may be. That is where their focus is. It is the wrong focus. In contrast to those who have their minds set on earthly things, in verse 20, he says, remember my identity, to remember my identity. In contrast, those are set on earthly things, but verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we have this, this, this sense of, of who we are, and this would have resonated so much with the Philippians. Philippi was a Roman colony, and I know that doesn't perhaps mean a whole lot to us, but it would have meant a whole lot uh, to them. It was hundreds of miles away from the actual physical location of Rome, but in many respects it was a little Rome. It was, it was a official colony of Rome, people who had served well in the military for a number of years would have been granted Roman citizenship, and as a part of kind of that reward, they would perhaps go to live in some of these Roman colonies. If you were in some of these Roman colonies, you would see that people dressed as the Romans did. They often would speak the, the Latin language, the, the language of Rome. They would uh, follow the customs of Rome. They would follow the judicial laws of Rome. And so it was like this, this little Rome, even though it was hundreds of miles away from Rome. And that's part of the picture that Paul's drawing on as he's writing to the Philippians. He said, you, you are a citizen of heaven. You, you may feel like you're hundreds of miles from it right now, but, but your citizenship, that is who you are, regardless of, of your geography, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your situation. Remember your citizenship. And, and the parallel out of that is our conduct must match our citizenship. That if you are a citizen of heaven, then, then your, your identity needs to be lived out of that identity. You need to live out of that identity so that your conduct increasingly matches your citizenship. 
A.W. Tozier was writing on this, and he gives three tests, three tests for our citizenship. And we won't spend much time here, but I thought these questions were worthy of all of us marinating on, so I wanted to make sure you had them. What do you desire most? Great test of citizenship. What is it, honestly, that I most desire? That kind of tells me a little about citizenship. What do you think about the most? In those moments, you know, you're not focused on work or this issue or whatever, but in sometimes those unguarded moments, where do you find your mind drifting? What do you think about the most? That speaks to our identity. That speaks to uh, where, where we consider our home and our priorities to be. Whom do you admire most? Who are the heroes? Who are the examples that you're following? If, if the folks you admire all folks who have accumulated uh, a, a lot of stuff or a lot of a notoriety or something, and that may, that may say something about where your citizenship is. So I, I, I remember my identity. Because as I remember my identity, it helps me to live out of that identity. And it helps me to live. When I live as a citizen, not of this, just of this earthly world, but as a citizen of heaven, it helps me to move toward my future with joy. I remember my identity. Fifth thing Paul says, regularly reflect. Regularly reflect on my true home. Even as we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and if He's coming today or if He's going to take me to Himself someday, I don't know how with the timing of all that is, but with that eager awaiting of the Lord, verse 21, He, he, he challenges us to, to, to bring all of that together. Who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to himself. You want to move toward your future with joy? Regularly reflect on your true home. After the earlier service, someone came up and talked to me, and they said, I know, I know a little bit about what my future looks like, uh, and it looks pretty ugly. I know a little bit about the situation, and I said, well, I, listen, I'm not going to deny for a moment the challenge of the road ahead, but I'm going to challenge you to look further out, to look further out. Sometimes we lose our joy and we look to the future because we're not looking far enough out. We're not looking against the backdrop of eternity. And that's why it's important to regularly reflect on my true home. C.S. Lewis put it this way, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Could it be that you're looking for something in this world to, to be a source of joy and it can't deliver because you were made for another world? Your true home is not here and now in this current sin-stained st- and sin-tainted and twisted culture and world. You were designed for a heavenly home. You were designed for a place that has been prepared for you. And that's exactly how Paul operates 
operated. He operated that way. And so he, he even came to the point, he said, listen, you know, I don't know if I'm going to live or if I'm going to die. Kind of either way I win, right? Either way I win. And, and there's that sense that sometimes I just long to be home. I long to be home. This is how he wrote about it to the Corinthians. So we are always of good courage. Whether I'm in prison or whether I'm being beaten or whether I'm being opposed, we are always of good courage. Why? We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Oh, Paul says, listen, there are days I long to be home. I long to be at my true home. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But whether at home in the body or whether at home with the Lord... I make it my aim to please him, to please the one to whom I will ultimately give an account. And when you regularly reflect on your true home, when you regularly live out of your new identity, it creates in you a a compelling reason to reject complacency and to to press on and to to, to move ahead and to to not let your past control you and to not let just earthly things control you, but to follow uh, the, the right examples and to clarify and pursue passionately the commitments along the way. And as we kind of try to dial this up, Corey Ten Boone, incredible woman of faith and she knew something about prisons too she spent time as a young woman in a Nazi concentration camp and when you read some of her words you know you know this is not a flippant faith you know it's not a Sunday morning faith but it is a life and a faith that has been honed and refined in the fires of adversity. And one of the expressions that she has, one of my favorites, is this. Never be afraid. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid. I I am well aware of the fact that in and out of this room this morning in three services, there are a lot of us who are facing an unknown future. We, We don't know, none of us really knows, but some of us are more aware right now that we don't know. We don't know what the future's gonna look like. And that's a little bit scary because most of us like to have at least some semblance of control, right? But if you're facing an unknown future, Never be afraid. Never be afraid to entrust that unknown future to a known God. That's how you can face the future, to move toward the future with joy. Because you live out of a new identity. 
You know who you are and whose you are in Jesus Christ. You know that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know that he has prepared a place for you and that he will come again and receive you unto himself. You know who you are and you know whose you are. You operate out of an identity that says, I praise God. I'm not who I was. I'm not who I was because of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, but about that same grace and mercy, I'm not yet who I'm going to be. And so there is joy. There is joy in the sense God has brought me so far, but God's not finished with me yet. God is still creating in me the man, the woman that he designed in me to be. And you can face that future with joy because you know, you know that not only am I right here right now in Fort Mill, South Carolina, but I know where I'm going. I know where my ultimate destination is. I know that nothing And no one can snatch me out of his hands. I can trust an unknown future to a known God because what I know of that God fills me with his joy. But I need to make sure I put a disclaimer on this message this morning. And it's simply this. Everything that I've been talking about has perhaps application across the board in some sense. But honestly, it's only really applicable to those who are truly followers of Jesus Christ. These truths are not true for just good people or just religious people. It's only true for those who are genuinely in Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you just a couple of old school questions kind of close this morning. The first is this. If you were to die tonight, if this was the last morning that you physically woke up, do you know? Do you know for certain that you'd spend eternity with God in heaven? I don't want you to leave this room without that certainty. Second question is this. Suppose you were standing before God right now and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What do you think you would say? Can I tell you the most common answer? I've tried to be a good person. I've tried to do more good things than bad. Maybe I've attended church, you're here. Tried to live by the Ten Commandments. I believe the Bible. Good things, but not enough. Why should I let you into my heaven? There's only one answer. You shouldn't. You shouldn't apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. You shouldn't apart from the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I am entrusting myself, my past, my present, and my future to him. And today, before you leave this room, I want you, I want you to know that you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I want you to have taken that step 
of turning from sin and turning from self and placing your faith in the finished work of Christ and Christ alone. Recognizing him not only as your rescuer and savior, but as your rightful leader and Lord. And today can be that day. I'm going to just beg some of you. Before you walk out of this room, walk right back there to the connect room. There's a banner hanging there that says connect. There's going to be some folks there that it would be their highest privilege today. They have set apart this time just for you. Because they want to talk to you and show you from God's word how you can know the forgiveness, the hope, and the joy that's only found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you have that relationship, then you can move towards your future with joy. Let's bow our heads together as we pray, please. Oh, Father, we come before you acknowledging that all of us have an unknown future, but we are entrusting it to a known God. And so, Father, I I pray today, Lord, I just want to pray very particularly right now, knowing that there's some folks in this room right here, right now. Lord, God, you you in grace, you in mercy, your Holy Spirit is talking to them right now. It's it's kind of burning in their heart and head. And Father, you're drawing them to you right now. So, Father, I just, I pray right now that there would be no hesitation, no procrastination, no, I'll do it next week, I'll do it tomorrow, but that today is the day of salvation. Today is the divine appointment appointment and today they would come they would take a few steps back to a connect room they would sit down and talk with someone about how what it means to become a follower of jesus christ father let today be the day that by your grace you secure for them a heavenly home father i pray today for many who are followers of yours that they would would passionately pursue you a deeper more real relationship with you the power of your resurrection father i pray that they would would move beyond their past they would clarify those commitments they would reject the complacency and they would they would move forward in your power and your strength for the upward call that you have placed in their lives father i just pray that there will be some folks that are going to walk out of this room all out and all in for jesus christ today father let that today be the day that you just move in our lives in that way and as you just now just father as we just are in your presence would you just graciously speak to each and every one of us. And I'm just going to ask you.